Hello, um, my name's Ruben. <laughs> Thank you. Um, uh, so um, it's uh, just amazing to be able to speak this morning. I, I joined, um, I came to the church last summer uh, when I got married to Melinda here. And uh, it's just brilliant season of life um, at the moment. And um, I'm a teacher in one of the schools nearby here. And... Um, yeah, it's a real privilege to be able to um, speak this morning. Uh, so we're going to be looking at Psalm uh, 146, if you kind of want to get that prepared, uh, if you've got a Bible kicking about, but it'll be up on the screen in a minute um, if, you, if you haven't. And uh, this is um, the, uh, the last of the Psalm series. That's right, isn't it? <laughs> that is, yeah. This is, so we've been going through the Psalms over the last um, number of weeks, and this is uh, the last one of those. And um, it, uh, we've been using the series to look at how we pray, um, teach us to pray, and praying through the Psalms, and looking at this range of emotions that we get through the Psalms. And um, really, this Psalm that we're looking at um, really speaks into the last five Psalms um, in, the, uh, in the book, and speaks about praise, really. So that's kind of our theme this morning, um, that we're looking at these last five, looking at 146 as a view to the rest of the, the last psalms, the last five psalms, with this view to praise. And so I've kind of taken another little twist on the title, in this sneaky title. If you just go back to the title slide, um, and the title is, Will You Join the Song of the Ages this morning? And... Uh, it's a, it's a kind of phrase that I've been living with for a while, that what, we, what we're doing this morning and what just happened in the last half an hour in this room, we are joining something much, much bigger than just right here, right now. We're plugging in to this kind of choir of the ages, this song of praise that's been sung all the way through. And this psalm and these kind of group of psalms are kind of like the real pinnacle of it. And it's like this. It's like God, this is kind of the illustration of the morning. God wants to come to me and come to you this morning and say, I'm grabbing you and I'm wanting to pull you into this choir that's what's happened to us. It's like this. Can I just borrow Joe here? It's like, it's like God's coming down. Sit down a minute. And it's out, out of surprise, suddenly, it's like grabbing you and kind of bringing you up and putting you on stage. Okay, no, 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 no. So for most of us, we'll be full of a kind of fear in that. Clearly not so with Joe. Um, although maybe you should be with that microphone. I'll just move that out of the way. Um, but that's actually what God is doing for us. And, and for many of us, we know that God has grabbed us and pulled us into something much bigger. And you might feel this morning, I'm kind of on the fringe of things and I'm kind of feeling a bit, my, song, my, my voice isn't that loud. And God wants to say, I want to grab you and draw you in. And you might feel like a scared rabbit, like Joe looks like. <laughs> okay? And you might feel, God, I, I feel like I'm pulled into something bigger, I'm not quite ready for it. But actually, God wants you to be part of this. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, God wants you to be part of this. And he says to you this morning, you, you might feel your voice you know, isn't great. And it's, it's not particularly, uh, it's not especially about singing, actually, this. It's about coming and joining the thing, that in your heart, you've got this song to God. It's your song that it's, that's important. And God says, I want your voice in this. 
I want your, your kind of harmony, your individual tone, some more individual than others probably in their tone, but I want your tone to be part of this song of the ages, of this glorious choir that's happening. And also I believe God says, I want you part of this song actually being worked out locally here. I, I want your voice, your kind of part of this to be, to be seen more and more. And God wants to do that, what we saw with Joe there, actually grabbing you and saying, come on in, come on in. The whole point of you being saved, of you being Christian, of you being pulled to this, is so you can join this amazing song of praise. And we see all the way through the Bible, right from the early days of Moses, Moses, he crosses the Red Sea, and what's the first thing he does? He sings, you know, great is the Lord, he has thrown the rider into the sea. And all these great lyrics that we have in that one of the first songs in the Bible. And we see all the way through the Old Testament, the priests and the Levites and all these people have instruments. And it says they blow trumpets. It doesn't quite sound like playing, does it, blowing trumpets? More like kind of raspberries, but you tend to do that. But actually, you get this thing of music and praise throughout the whole Old Testament. And then it's like we get this kind of lull um, in those years before Jesus arrives. You know, a bit like um, the 1812 Overture. It always makes me think of, you know, it kind of has died right down. And you think, has the music actually finished? Or, or the bit before the Handel's Messiah, Hallelujah Chorus, and it's kind of gone all quiet. And then suddenly you get the hallelujah kind of bit burst out. And it's like between the Testaments, you get this kind of, the music has, seems to have died down. And suddenly you get the choir of angels, you know, glory to God, peace on earth, blessed be to the shepherd dudes on the, on the hill. Okay, and they're singing. Suddenly the song erupts again. And then you get Mary kicking off that Magnificat thing you sometimes hear at Christmas. And you get Zachariah, this song, song, song. And you get all the way through the New Testament. They're referencing hymns. And you get these, all these prayers and songs and hymns. And we can look actually in our history. In the last 2,000 years, we see praise praise throughout the whole time so we can sing amazing grace today and find it still has resonance doesn't it amazing grace how sweet the sound it saved a wretch like me yeah I, I, I kind of connect with that that's hundreds of years old that song and you've got and can it be and um, when I survey the wondrous cross and be that my vision and all these songs that kind of speak of praise 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 and then we get to our, our era almost, Graham Kendrick and Matt Redman and Delirious and Hillsong and Bethel and, and Chris Smythe. Okay, so but actually, very really, what we're doing here, what we're doing right here, right now, is plugging in to that history and also speaks of a future, which again we heard coming through this morning. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation shall gather in this glorious choir where they will gather around his throne on that final day. So again, what we're doing here is like a little picture of what it will be then. So the question is, will you join? Will you join the song of the ages? And will you join what's going on here locally and raise your voice to this song here so I believe God wants to raise this song louder and louder so this whole community area gets to hear the praise. Not just in 
of a sound thing, but actually lives lived out in praise in this community. And this psalm helps us with all those things. Let's read, shall we? Psalm 146. It says this. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. That's going to be point one. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. Then it talks about who to trust, who not to trust. Verse three. Do not put your trust in princes, in mortal men who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. Then it tells us who to trust. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob. That's point two, God of Jacob. Whose hope is in the Lord his God, the maker of heaven and earth and sea and everything in them. The Lord who remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. And in these last verses, we have a a repetition in the psalm, a kind of poetry repetition that is kind of has been translated, but it still kind of works. So let's read the verses, see how they sound. The Lord sets the prisoner free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the alien and sustains the fatherless and the widow. But he frustrates the ways of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever. Your God, O Zion, for all generations. Praise the Lord. And notice the bookend of praise the Lord, praise the Lord. And that bookend happens in the next four Psalms as well. Let's just pray a minute, shall we? And God, I just want to pray that you would come and speak to us through your word God, may we come and be drawn to you like a, like a magnet drawing out our hearts. May this psalm draw out our hearts to you as we look in all the goodness of what's here. Amen. So about this psalm and about these last psalms, um, there's this preacher who lived about 100 years ago uh, called Spurgeon. And um, he made this quote, uh, he, he said this about these psalms. He, he wrote about all of the psalms in this, this book called The Treasury of David, which is just a great title in itself. It's like the storehouse of the psalms. But this is what he says about these last ones. We are now among the hallelujahs. The rest of our journey lies through the delectable mountains, the extremely attractive mountains. All is praise to the close of the book. The key is high-pitched. The music is upon the high-sounding cymbals. Oh, for a heart full of joyful gratitude that we may run and leap and glorify God even as these psalms do. So really, as your response to what we do this morning, I'd love us to read through these psalms this week and see if you can get these psalms in you that we may run and leap and glorify God like these psalms do. And this image of um, the delectable mountains, a weird kind of Victorian-y phrase, I guess, 
And it actually refers back to this book, The Pilgrim's Progress, where you get this life, um, it's like a picture, metaphor, of this guy traveling on this journey. Um, It was written by John Bunyan many, many years ago. And it's like this delectable mountains, these attractive mountains. It's like there's a part of the book where the, the character kind of stands on a mountain and looks into the distance. So kind of think Frodo in Lord of the Rings, you know, looking upon Mount Doom, except it's not Mount Doom. It's like the heavenly city, the celestial city they use in that old language. And it's like he's, he's kind of straining and the shepherds on this hill give him this like makeshift telescope and he's kind of looking in to things of the future and looking into the heavenly city of that every tribe, every tongue moment. So it's like as we stand on these psalms, it's like we're looking and straining into this future heaven glory. And I love it. It's a great picture, isn't it? And it's as you stand on a mountain, you can get that feeling of you know, straining and looking on. And so let's dive into this psalm and have a look at a few of these phrases. The first one, it says, um, uh, say after uh, beginning and end, you get these bookends to all these psalms put in by editors probably later on, but it creates this feeling of hallelujah, praise God. Then the first proper kind of bit, praise the Lord, oh my soul. And I just want to land a little bit on this praise, oh my soul. And every time I see that, it's like, it's like a kind of, come on, come on, kind of phrase I always think. Now, there is a come on piece of land in my life at the moment. It's at the bottom of Danson Hill, as I call it. Okay, it's in Danson Park. A few of us doing the park run. And there's this little, it's not really a hill, it's a bit of a slope. Okay, um, uh, upward slope. But every time I come to it on the second lap of Danson Park Park Run, I come to this part. Colin is off in the distance somewhere. He's disappeared. I've got Melinda's sister breathing down my neck. I can feel her, her feet coming, you know, she's, she's coming at me. And I get to the bottom of this hill. And if you're in the vicinity of me running and often scaring stewards and other runners, I will let out these, these very eloquent words. Come on! Come on! She's coming at you. He's off in the distance. Come on! Don't stop your pace. Kind of get up this hill. Come on. Come on. And it, whenever I see, oh my soul, I reckon that's the come on of the Bible. It's that thing of, oh, come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. You, you can get up, push yourself. Come on, push yourself. Because so often... Uh, we can give in. And this can be applied to all kinds of parts of our Christian life, really. It can be applied to what we do. Let's do um, prayer. That we can feel like really kind of, I'm, I'm a bit done. I've prayed a little bit, but, you know, kind of done with it. Actually, if we can say, come on, come on, to ourselves, it actually can really, you know, kind of, it actually endures persistence. We can do that with our Bible reading. That, you know, I'm, I'm so tempted in the morning to mark books, actually, often at the moment, that I've, I haven't caught up on. I can, I, you know, I can lose that Bible reading time. And I've got, no, come on, come on. It's so important that I get this good stuff in me. And it can be applied to what we do here on Sunday mornings, that regularly we can come. And, and we, we're not, you know, sometimes we're really feeling it, we're on it, it's a sunny day, etc. And there's other moments when we're not feeling it. We're not feeling like the praise is within us, it's bubbling up from inside. 
And so to ourselves, we can say, oh, my soul, come on, praise the Lord. Come on, come on. And we can have times and seasons in our life when these things are harder or easier. So there's times when maybe even this morning you feel like, do you know what, I, I, I can't sing. I can't sing. My come on is just to be here, to be honest. So about five, uh, five and a half years ago, um, my marriage ended and... Um, just caught up in the incredible heartache and sadness and dark cloud of what that was. And so for the next six months or year, I would find that coming to church was just difficult enough in itself that I would be, come on, just by being there. And when it came to the worship, you know, sometimes I'd start and start to sing and then I'd kind of lose it a bit and, you know, I'd be in tears and stuff and then just sit down a bit and then try and stand up again and lose it a bit. And then, you know, people around are like, wow, what, you know, what's going on there? And what actually happened in this moment was I found other people singing for me, that other people are singing on my behalf, that my heart is there, but do you know what? I can't do the words thing at the moment. And even this morning, that kind of thing might be happening. That you're like, I can't even sing. This thing's happened, it's weighing down on me so much, I can't even sing. Others sing on your behalf at those moments. It's an amazing thing that happens in a congregation. And now I'm you know, in a different place, I can sing. I'm singing on behalf of you sometimes. You know? And that's the come on is sometimes just being there. That's the kind of first thing, how to sing when you're not winning, if you like. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. The second part, we see the princes in verse two. Uh, we, uh, verse three, do not put your trust in princes, immortal men who cannot save. Their spirits depart. Basically, it, don't put your trust in people, bosses, celebrities, politicians, even leaders. Don't put your trust in them who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. Don't put your trust in them. And then as the flip side of it, as often happens in Psalms, we get verse five. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob. So first thing, how to sing when you're not winning. The second thing, let's look at this phrase, the God of Jacob, a little bit. Because he's a unusual dude for God to align himself to you know all the way through the Old Testament you get these characters that look kind of big in stature David and Moses and Elijah and regularly we get this phrase the God of Jacob now Jacob is not the most wholesome of guys he's like this deceiver and twister um, you know, the kind of golem of the outfit, if you like. Always kind of trying to take a side, trying to devious. And for years and years, he, he steals the birthright of his brother. His name means the supplanter, that he's put himself in that role. Here's a couple of quotes about him. Philip Greenslade says, God risks his good name through association with some pretty shady characters. He is willing to be known as the God of Jacob. A vein of trickery and treachery runs through Jacob's nature. A guy called James Baldwin Brown says, um, God chooses Jacob and chooses to be called, in this verse here, the God of Jacob. 
just because he was a man so full of human infirmity, like weakness and littleness. Okay, so Philip Greenslade, trickery and treachery. Okay, uh, James uh, Baldwin Brown, uh, uh, this guy says, weakness, human weakness and littleness. And then uses this phrase, great transgression. So Jacob is a guy who sins in a big way and is prone to sin and deception. And then with the hammer blow, this guy says, this quote goes on to say, Jacob is more within our sphere. He's in our world. Okay, deception, trickery, treachery, prone to great sin, prone to great transgression. And God says, I'm going to be called the God of Jacob. I will take this guy, this unlikely, unusual guy, and I'm going to be known as the God of Jacob, and I'm going to fix myself fast to him. And you get this story of Jacob rolled out where he's kind of wrestling with God. There's an up and down relationship there going on with God and Jacob. But in the end, God's faithfulness is fixed to Jacob in covenant, like this marriage, like this contract. And he's grabbed him and he's gripped him so hard that Jacob can't let go. And God says, I won't let go. And they are fast bound together. And God says, that's like you, God of Jacob. I'm happy to be aligned with pretty shady characters. I will be called the God of Reuben. I will be called the God of Jeremy and Joe and Sam and Tim. I'll be called the God of Josh and Hannah covers many names, many people in the church. <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be called your God. You know, you who are human weakness, tick. Littleness, tick. You know, deception, tick. Prone to great sin. I will be your God. I want to fix myself to you and I will grab you. I want to pull you in to this song of the ages. I want to pull you in to this praise song. No, matter, no, no wonder it says in this verse, blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob. If you feel this morning like you are prone to great sin, you are really prone to mucking up. God says, that's the sort of person I align myself with. I draw you in to this song. I draw you into this choir. I want to release you and free you. Just as an aside, please have a look at it in your own time. The maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in it. God just, <laughs> the psalmist underlining the greatness and the majesty of God as uh, we heard from Nick this morning, you don't know half of it. <laughs> I love that phrase. You don't know half of it. The maker of heaven and sea and those little fish under the sea with the light bulb thing that goes on, you don't know half of it. God says, and I'm the one who will fix myself to you. Let's look at these last few verses as we draw in. We have some just glorious five verses at the end here and this is the gospel summed up really succinctly verse um, uh, so from verse 7 where it says the Lord this repetition of the Lord 
And uh, again, this, um, this preacher called Spurgeon uh, says this about these verses. Um, he, he does this sermon called The Famous Titles of the Lord. Come on, that's great. What are the famous titles of the Lord. This is seen in this psalm. It's a great bit of scripture to learn. If you want to get something in you this week, this is a great bit to learn. And Spurgeon says this about it. Sometimes when a great king or prince has a high day, a herald proclaims the titles of his majesty. He is prince of this, and he is lord of that, and he's the emperor of the Farsis. Um, and too often... It's a whole bunch of empty sounds that is just kind of hyperbole and kind of over-the-top hype. But when we come to speak of God, every title falls short of what is his real glory and honour. And he says, tonight we have five of his titles put together, five wonderful achievements of God, five things for which God would himself have noticed, five magnets to draw your heart to him, that we should join the song of the ages and praise. And what we get is these verses, so the psalmist wrote them in whatever context he wrote them, we get to see these things. He's, he's writing these things, and it's like this kind of blurredness for us sometimes reading it. And it's like, I can't quite make it out. Oh, man, I can't see anyone now <laughs> with my glasses off. Um, but it's like we can vaguely make out what it means. You know, Lord give, sets the prisoner free. That kind of can speak of Moses and the people of Israel being set free. And maybe for David's time, there's prisoners that God set free. But actually, as we bring in the lens of Jesus to these verses, it brings sharp focus for what it means for us. Let's look at them. The first quite old English way Spurgeon describes it is the emancipator. Now that means that's kind of the freer, the prison buster. The Lord sets the prisoners free. So we can be in all kinds of prisons. Oh, are you in a prison mentally this morning? The restrictions, this kind of bound up lockedness of your mind. The things you think about yourself, your opinions about yourself. And you can be like chains, locked in. I can't get through the door because in my mind, I'm not good enough for this stuff. I see all these people doing church and I'm just not, don't feel good enough for all that. You could feel it's mentally, these things keep coming back to you. You know you did this in the past. You know you did this thing and it's like you're locked up in it. It can be a mental slavery, a mental kind of binding. It could be like a moral thing that you, you just keep falling for that addiction thing. And all the, all the kind of ones that we know about, the alcohol and the drugs and the pornography and all those different things that can grip us and feel like we're locked into these things. It's like a, like a bond. Or it can be actually just sin, this slavery to sin. I'm, it's just who I am. It's just who I am. It's just my personality. But actually, you know that... You know, I always fall for the wrong girl, I always fall for the wrong guy, I always spend time with the wrong people. And it's like locks you in to all those things. And God says this morning, the Lord sets prisoners free. 
that he wants to come into those prisons and into those chains and even this morning wants to bang, break those chains, unlock that door and have that place free so you can be pulled out to come and join this choir that you can become and be free in yourself, not lose your individuality, not lose your own tone of voice, not lose your own colour, but to come in to this thing and freely use all those things he's given you to express praise to him. The Lord sets the prisoner free. The Lord gives sight to the blind that we can be wandering around you know, searching and, and kind of, what, what is this thing? I can just about make out this thing. I can't see it. I'm, I keep tripping over the same stuff. I'm trying to make sense of life. And we know that when we become Christian, God opens the eyes of our heart. And suddenly we see all things. And not, not everything's solved, but we see things in a, diff, in a different light. We see the light of God come to us. It's not something we do. He turns the light on and we suddenly can see things clearly. Do you need illumination of certain issues and problems in your life? The Lord gives sight to the blind. Are there areas of darkness where you think, I'm just wandering, I keep tripping over this thing? It says God gives sight to the blind. Next verse. So we've got the illuminator We've got the emancipator. We've got the comforter. This next verse. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. Are you bowed down this morning? Do you feel like it's, a, you know, your head's down? It's like a, just, just eyes are down. It could be through bereavement. It could be through sickness. And you think, do you know, my eyes are down. This is a season of life. My head is bowed down. It could be you have just seasons of life. There's a kind of busyness to life where the work situations and kind of travel situations where you just feel just day to day is just, I feel like weighed down by it. I'm, I'm bowed down. I, it's been a long time since I've kind of, it felt like I've looked up and that, when you hear that song this morning, started by Chris, that I lift up my eyes, you're the giver of life. That's, that kind of resonated something with you. I, yeah, do you know what? Oh, yeah, it's like lifting up my eyes. You're the giver of life. But do you feel bowed down? Or even by sin, like the tangled mess, like a tangled ball of wool that you've got yourself in, this kind of tangled mess of sin. And, and God says, the Lord lifts up those who are bowed down, that he comes to you and he just raises your head his loving father's arms. He just, just look up, lift up your eyes, lift up your eyes. I'm the giver of life. I want to come, I want to cut your ball of string and, and bring my end to that. That thing that's weighing you down, I will lift you up. Even though the circumstances don't change, God says, raise your eyes. I want to lift you up. Look at this next one. The rewarder. The Lord loves the righteous. As Hannah Silly preaching a few weeks ago talks about righteousness, that as we bring the Jesus lens to this verse, we are righteous in God. He takes our dirty t-shirt, all bloodstained and ripped up. He takes that onto the cross and he dies with that sin-stained stuff on him and gives us his robe of righteousness. 
So we now are righteous before God, however you feel. If you're wearing that robe, you're righteous before God. And it says this, God loves the righteous. God loves you. Zephaniah, some old Testament prophecy book, this Zephaniah 3 verse 17, the Lord delights in you. Do you know what it is this morning? You make his heart jump. It says God sings over you in that same verse. God sings. You know, God is going, God singing. Just think about that. God singing, you know. God, God singing. God, like God singing. God sings over you. God, that's how he delights in you. He sings. You make his heart go glad. You know, when you love someone, you want to be with them. God wants to... <laughs> Check this out. God God, maker of heaven and earth, sea, sky, the little fish with the light bulb. God wants to be with you. God wants to be with you. Where every time we give ourselves a little bit of time in the mornings or evenings, go for a walk and we look to him, God says, I want to be with you. I want to commune with you. If you love someone, you want to provide for their needs. Okay, God says, I want to provide for the, uh, what you need. I will provide for what you need. God says, if, again, if you love someone, you want to promote them. I meet my friends back in Mid-Sussex. They go, how's married life? And I go, Melinda, dinners. Yeah! Okay, I'm promoting her to my friends. I'm pr- this is brilliant. Okay, I'm promoting. Do you know, God does that with you. God wants to promote you. So I want to grab you from your, where you are in the, in the listening seats to the taking part seats. And I want your voice to be in this because I think you're great and really great. Your individuality is a key part of this. I want to promote you. I want to provide your needs. I want to be with you. I delight in you and sing over you. And lastly, God the preserver. The Lord watches over the alien. So if you feel like you're a foreigner or a a, a refugee, either physically and practically, you may feel like that. Or you might just feel it in all kinds of different ways. I I feel like I just don't fit in. I don't understand the culture. I come from mid-Sussex where it's all rural and stuff. So trying to understand roundabouts and the speed of things and all that going on trains and all that. It's, you know, there's, there's a different culture thing going on. So even, even for, for me, for that, there's a kind of, you know, not understanding. But if you feel like you're wrong-footed, if you feel like alien, foreign, stranger, God says, I have a special place in my heart. The Lord sustains and watches over the alien. Then we get the fatherless and widow. Those such painful roles, fatherless. Who will provide for my soul? And the widow, having lost somebody who you've been so close to. And while there's an intense practical loneliness in those worlds and in those roles where you've lost something really close through whatever circumstances, Though there's a very real loneliness, you're never alone with him. You're never alone with him, the one who wants to be with you. The Lord sustains the fatherless and the widow.
the five titles of the Lord as we look for those verses. So we're going to draw in now. I wonder if uh, the, we're going to sing 10,000 Reasons, actually, just to finish. I wonder if the um, guys can come up. And um, just to underline that question, will you join? Will you join this song of the ages? God has done all these things for you. God will be all these things for you. And he says, I want to draw you from where you are and I want to draw you into this song, into this choir. So it might be that you're kind of not a Christian, that you kind of don't really get this religious church thing. God's wanting to draw you and say, come and be part of this. Come and be part of this song, this thing that goes through all eternity. It might be that you're kind of on the edge of things, even in the church here. And you think, yeah, I, I kind of sing, but it's, you know, I'm part, kind of part of stuff. My, my voice is quite quiet. And I believe God says for a number of people, he wants to raise your voice louder. He wants you, your voice, to come and, come and be stronger. Let your voice, let your individual contribution be raised up. Because I'm wanting to raise the song. I'm wanting to raise the volume here. And maybe you're kind of, you know, you're kind of in it, you're a Christian. I believe God just wants to encourage our hearts of the eternal thing that we are part of. And also, just to practically use these psalms to help us praise him. Interestingly enough, 10,000 Reasons, this song, is quite unusual, I think, when you get the verses are us to God in the first person. You know, you're rich in love and you're slow to anger. We're talking to God. And the chorus, what are we doing? Come on! <laughs> we're singing it to ourselves. Praise the Lord, bless the Lord, O oh my soul. So as we sing this chorus, I'd love us to kind of enter into, come on, soul, align yourself with God for the rest of your life. In the good times, in the bad times, Let's use, we can use this as this kind of declaration. <laughs>